Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Welcome, welcome, and welcome at 6 a.m. in New York City, and it's time once again for 77 WABC to turn its attention to the one-hour week it gives to the animals that live with us, love us, and that's the subject of the day, two dogs feel love. Welcome back, folks. Hi, Brenda. And we happen to know that it's 11 p.m. in New Zealand, in case you wanted to know that. Why is that important? (laughs) Our first guest is going to tell us that. (laughs) Well, anyway, before we introduce uh, Cupid and bring him into the studio with us, and we start talking about why dogs feel love, if they feel love, when they feel love. Yeah, we we titled it Do They Feel Love? But, I mean, I think we have a bunch of believers here, but we're going to have a really good discussion. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep an open mind on the subject, you know, for at least the next hour, that is. Uh, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, good news. The Arbitron ra- rankings came out uh, for uh, our radio hour. And we are, again, the number one talk show in New York at this hour. Yay. Yay. Lots so, of dogs listening. Lots of dogs listening. And thank you. And a big woof. <laughs> a few cats. I too. heard all those woofs going on. Uh, so we're, again, the number one. And Arbitron, of course, is the Nielsen's of the radio world. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing, I guess, is the walkathon update. Um, for those of you that don't know, the Radio Hour does, or, or dogsindanger.com, our website, does a walkathon uh, with pets in annual, all sorts of annual. annual fundraiser, March for the Dogs. And this a- year it's Sunday, May 15th, uh, Yorktown Heights, FDR a- absolutely. Park Absolutely, and Heights. it's a great event. We invite everybody. We're going to be telling you a lot more about it. We're going to be, you know, as the days come back, I think it's seven weeks from this Sunday, which is today. Wow. Okay, it's exactly seven days anyway. So you have, have a lot of work left to do. I have a lot of work. I, I, I have to leave right now, as a matter of fact. I do too, home. but I'm putting my head in the sand. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Shauna Wall, who's our uh, Hollywood connection of Dogs in Danger, who's been a great sponsor and friend of uh, Dogs in Danger for, what, the five years that we've existed, or three and a half years that the website has existed anyway. She has confirmed that reality stars from The Bachelor, from Survivor, and The Amazing Race will be at the event. How cool is that? She is coming over mm-hmm. from Hollywood herself, and she's bringing a whole bunch right. of her friends. So you are going to see people that you've only seen on TV on major shows like The Bachelor at our We're walk-a-thon. getting the biggest biggest group of reality stars together that we can for the for the walkathon. All walking with the dogs for yep, the dogs. Yep, yep, yep. So anyway, let's um, let's switch to the subject du jour, which is do dogs feel love. We're going to talk about that movie we watched the other night, right? Yeah, and I want to get into I want to get into the discussion and our guests. Um, through this movie, okay, we watched this movie a couple nights ago called Hachi, the dog movie. It's Hachiko, a, it is, but w- his nickname was American Hachi. Movies, yeah, Hachi. if you yeah. haven't seen it, you have to get it. Two thousand nine movie with Richard Gere, and um, I was sobbing hysterically. I mean, it, it, it's beyond sobbing. It's I'm a great, telling you, it takes a lot to get tears out of my uh, my eyes, and uh, they were overflowing. A true story, a true story of love, devotion, undying love, and devotion. Really and it's a, true story. And, it's a and, true story. Based on a true story. Well, we got to tell them what the story is. I mean, the mm-hmm. synopsis of the story is it's a story that happens and it really happened in Japan in 1923. Okay. Um, and his, uh, this Japanese guy, he had this professor, dog. His name was Hachiko. He was, he was a professor at the university. Then. Right. Mm-hmm. And he had this dog. His name's a Japanese. He found name. him. He was a stray puppy. Right. His name was Hachiko. And uh, the guy died of a heart attack uh, two, three years after uh, he had the dog. And he had bonded so well with the dog. Anyway, the dog. Um, kept vigil for his owner for nine years. He, well, let's t- back it up a little bit. He used to the dog used to meet him at the train station every day at five o'clock when he came home from the train. Right, this is a true story. Yeah. Right, every day he met him at the train station for years. He did this, and then one day the man, the the professor, dies and doesn't return home. And every day for nine years after that, the dog waits at the train station. At five o'clock. It still brings tears to my eyes. It really does. And, you know, he would he would run out of the house. Now, this is 1925 we're talking about, right? So, it, you know, in Japan. and, and so There the weren't rule, leash laws. In, the, as no far as I know, laws, no leash right. laws back then. Yeah, and no pound yeah. rules and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So the dog would take off at whatever, 4.30. Well, he would follow him to work in the morning, I think, too. No, no, no. But yeah. after he died, right. he would take off on his own. He would go to the train station and he would sit in front of the door where he would come out of. And he did this. For nine years until the day he died. And they say he never missed a train. Five and o'clock he never train missed a train. Every day. 
um, he became a monument over there. And if you, if you actually, he is a there monument. There is a monument. There's a monument of where the dog sat and waited for his owner for nine years in Japan today. And he's sort of a national figure in Japan. So the American Hollywood made this movie. Now, he did not, the dog did not have a home at this time. He was astray during this time. And let's not, I mean, so people understand. He wasn't going home and then coming back to the train station. He basically lived at the train station right. and lived on the right. streets and, and on the handouts of, of, uh, of Good Samaritan. So they made this movie, uh, Americanized version of the story, set in the Northeast with Richard Gere and a whole family of cast, a, a great cast, uh, Jason Alexander from Friends in it. It's a big Hollywood movie. It's a great, awesome, incredible movie, a true story you know, done in Hollywood. And if you ever questioned about love and dogs, you got to see this movie. So this is the subject of the day, right. and it sort of segued in perfectly from this movie that we saw just a couple of days ago. And I embrace you. If you go to Netflix and take a look at the ratings, it's almost a 5.0 rating, uh, meaning five-star rating, which you never, right. ever see. So there's a the plug for Hollywood. Movie. There's the plug for Richard Gere. Good right. job, my man. It was a great show. Uh, having said that, we are going to talk a little bit more about Hachi with our guests. I hope they've seen the movie. Otherwise, they're going to tell us if, if love of this kind, this pure form of love exists, or is it just something that we imagine? So before we get into this hot and uh, juicy topic, <laughs> Canine love. we're going to cut away to a commercial break, and we'll be right back. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit DogsInDanger.com and click Donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now before they run out of time. Pets bring unconditional love into our lives every day. That's just one reason Best Friends Animal Society believes that every pet deserves a loving home. Best Friends runs the nation's largest sanctuary for homeless animals, but they do so much more. From helping community cats and delivering animals from overcrowded shelters and puppy mills to brand new lives, Best Friends and their members are saving animals from coast to coast every day. They're working with you and with humane groups all across the country to bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. Join them. Becoming a Best Friends member is easy. Just visit them online at bestfriends.org and make a donation of any amount. With a gift of $25 or more, you'll receive a subscription to Best Friends Magazine. Your contribution to Best Friends Animal Society will support their life-saving work and help animals both at the sanctuary and around the country. Together, we can bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets. To learn more and become a member today, visit bestfriends.org. Barkable Radio, the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Well, we're back on the air. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. And today's question is, do dogs feel love? And we're going to cut right away into our first guest. He's Dr. Jeffrey Mason. He's the best-selling author of nine books on the emotional life of animals, including dogs, of course. Uh, One of his books is Dogs Never Lie About Love and the Dog Who Couldn't Stop Loving. Now, the good news is that we go to extraordinary lengths in this show to make sure that our guests are as comfortable as possible. And uh, we know the hour today, so we made sure we got a guest from New Zealand today <laughs> because for him it's 11 o'clock at night. So that's the main reason why doc- Dr. Mason is on. <laughs> Dr. Mason, are you with us? I'm with you. Hi. How are you? Good. Mo- well, I'm not going to say good morning to you. Thank uh, you for joining us. Good night, more like, for you. Good night. Well, yeah, a few more minutes, it'll be morning. It's, we- it's almost midnight. And and uh, it took us a little bit to get that time conversion, but we finally got it. New York to New Zealand. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, but I don't feel too bad for you because it's only eleven o'clock at night for you. And listen, we were up at three thirty, so a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, really a fascinating topic um, that we have lined up today. I think Alex, you're going to start it off, right? Yes, absolutely. Let, let's go right into the big meaty question here, um, Dr. Mason. Do dogs feel love, in your opinion, as defined in human terms, okay? 
Well, yes. I mean, it's very difficult because uh, we get accused, uh, people like me or people who believe the dogs have very strong emotions, which anybody who lives with a dog can attest to. You see it all the time. But there are scientists who say, well, you're just engaging in anthropomorphism. You are projecting your own ideas of love onto your dog. But, you know, we could make that same argument for whether if you were to ask me, does my wife love me? I'm quite convinced she does. But that's an anthropomorphic view. I don't really know. I can't get inside her. I can't know if what she feels for me is what I feel for her. But all the evidence suggests that she loves me. And all the evidence suggests that my dog loves me. And I know for sure that I love him. Well, there, there's two kinds of ways, I guess, of discerning, okay? Your wife will say to you verbatim, I love you. That, that goes she a long way. She, she could, could be, be lying. lying. <laughs> right. The dog cannot tell you that. So, the, so first of all, there's words, in, in which case the dog is out of options. And then there's actions, right? I mean, how else do right. we know? We don't have a love machine test, which is not a bad idea, you know? If I could invent well, that. Well, you know, but I, I know what you're driving towards, but I also want to note that if you look into a dog's eye, and by the way, only dogs of all domesticated animals allow us to stare at them, and they recognize that we're staring with good intentions, in fact, in friendship, if you like, in love, and you can see it right back. Their eyes actually reflect what they're feeling, just as our eyes do, whereas you'd have a much greater difficult time in trying to discern what a rooster is feeling, although I believe roosters feel, but we can't we can't really translate it as easily as we can a dog. So we can look into a dog's eye, and of course, they make it easy. They move their body. Uh, they moan and groan. They wag their tails. They thump. My dog Benji's constantly thumping his tail to let me know he likes what's going on around him. There's no mistaking that they're feeling something very akin to what we feel. Well, you know what, Dr. Mason, I want to talk a little bit more about it. That's a very interesting point you brought up, and others have said, have said as much, um, that only dogs allow us to look directly into their eyes. Is that true? It's pretty much you try it with your cat, and, and you, you could be in trouble. You know, they always say, with the, I, have, I live with three cats, and I'm always in trouble with them. I do things wrong. They don't make it as easy. I adore them, but they don't make it easy to know what they're feeling. And, so, and other animals, and other animals are the same. They won't let you look into the eye. They'll they'll, they they'll turn like their head. Be, no, because of course that's what a predator does. If you've ever seen a lion, when they fix their gaze on an animal, it, and then they get ready, they crouch and they're ready to pounce. Ah, so okay. it's it's an aggressive thing to stare. And by the way, humans are this way too. I mean, when you're among strangers, especially in New York City. And you start staring at somebody on the subway, you could be in trouble. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you're saying that a dog will allow a stranger to stare into his eyes or only the one that's close to him or her? No. I, well, that's a good point. I don't really know. I haven't tried it with a strange dog. I would imagine it's not a good idea, just as you don't rush over to a strange dog and start smothering it with kisses because they don't know who you are. But certainly with a dog that you're close to, you can look into that dog's eye and the dog will look back into yours. And, and Benji will start thumping his tail when I stare at him because he knows that means, oh, he's looking at me with love. Yeah, so I they think don't with, misinterpret. I think with strange dogs, for, for good handling skills and safety, it's not good to stare them in the eye because it is yeah, considered it's, aggressive, it's, like he said. Yeah, yeah, but, so dangerous. that's a good that's distinction. Right. I mean, yeah. I have a dog who's very uncomfortable with strangers staring her in the eye, but she will just... Uh, lovingly, you know, gaze into my eyes for hours. So, um, so, so yes, there's point. a real distinction, uh, I think, to be made bef- between stranger and bonded, right. you know, relationship. So, so, but it's a good point. So, one of the delimiters you're, we're talking about here in terms of being able to define if this dog is feeling any version of human love that we kind of have felt in our own bodies is the fact that they allow us to look into their eyes and then we can tell something from their look, from their gaze, like we do with a human, like we do with, right. uh, with the eyes say we love. so much. Yeah. Right. And even and we look to that with human beings too, when when you have someone who's incapable of speaking for some reason, the eyes tell you can tell you so much. Well that's and right. Think, and I should I should mention something else about the physiognomy of dogs and that is that they smile. I have absolutely no doubt that dogs smile. You know, they get that loose face, mm-hmm. they open their jaw, they show their teeth. Uh, they pant a little bit and uh, with their mouth open, and you can tell they're smiling, and their eyes are shining brightly. Absolutely. Uh, a- absolutely. I mean, that, my dog, Buddy, 
absolutely he's smiles. got he's got an amazing I mean, Brenda smile. Has seen it. He's got the worst, most crooked, <laughs> pulls, pulls his gums way back teeth. and his teeth all sticking out. Yeah, he really does it. Uh, yeah, Some absolutely. dogs do it more than others, but yeah, I mean, my dogs do it too. That's but, right. Well, there are dogs who grin, there are dogs who smile, there are dogs right. who possibly laugh. <laughs> I think I think mine's in the laugh category <laughs> with the ugliest set of teeth, possibly. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me ask you this question, Dr. Mason. This is a fascinating discussion. Um, a lot of people say that we view as love from our dog. All, all it is basically is that the dog is manipulating us, convincing us of something that's really not there. For example, he's manipulating. Like, I lick your face. You give me food. I look like, you know, I'm cutie and I move my tail, you give me food. I do whatever I need to do for you to give me food. Um, that's now, not love. What no, do you think? But I don't think it's true. And um, the easy way to find out is if you stop feeding your dog for any reason. Um, and in fact, we had to do this recently with Benji, the dog who couldn't stop loving, because he developed uh, hemorrhagic gastroenteritis. And he had to go on a strict fast for three days. And he looked at us mournfully, uh, but he didn't lose any of his love. He never even got angry. By the way, it's very rare that a dog, your dog, I mean, a strange dog, of course, but that your dog, the dog that knows you, almost never gets angry with you, no matter what you do. So if you refuse to feed your dog or you make him stay outside when he shouldn't be outside, or any, even some of the terrible things that people do to dogs, the dog does not blame you. And I think if they were simply parasites, as somebody like Stephen Budiansky claims, um, then they would react badly. They would react more like cats. Mm-hmm. You're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and dogs are and much more stuff. dogs are much more forgiving, right? Well, that's the unconditional love I think that you know people who have dogs feel from them, which is exactly that. That is so. It's it's proof, I would say. The, the fact that they don't get angry, that they don't take it out on us, that they don't feel revenge, that they don't say, boy, I'm going to get you, <laughs> you know, right. that's, mm-hmm. that's to me proof that they love us not for what we give them, but for who we are. And we wanted to focus most of our discussion today on on love. But, of course, you know, the, the scientific evidence around all these complex emotions, it's starting to show that they're, they're capable of, which, of course, we see, if you, especially if you live with multiple dogs, you see this all the time, right? Joy, jealousy, embarrassment, all kinds of oh, emotions. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, disappointment. I mean, there's no end. I can think of very few emotions except some of the negative emotions. I, I, I don't know dogs who experience hatred. I don't know dogs who experience greed or even envy. Yes, they can be embarrassed. I think they can feel guilt. But what astonishes me always is that they seem to have some of the more positive emotions, for example, a capacity for friendship and the feelings that accompany it that are superior to humans. I don't, I don't know anybody who can be as constantly friendly as my dog Benji. It just doesn't happen. Even my beloved wife will sometimes look at me with that, that look that says, uh-oh, you know, and Benji doesn't do that. Right, <laughs> right, right. Dr. Mason, so why is it that when we hear a story like that of, uh, I don't know if you heard me um, talking about the movie, Hachi's movie, I don't know if you've seen it, the story of Hachi. Um, it's a film that, with Richard Gere. Um, it was out a couple of years ago. You should, no, you should I, rent I, it. it sounds wonderful. I did write about that story um, in, in my book, Dogs Never Lie About Love, because, of course, it's a very famous It's story. a very famous, so you know it. It's impossible to read it without, you know, breaking into tears. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I mean, the big the big tissue box came out of the bathroom. Nine years. Okay, you know, it was it was sitting in between us. Yeah. Anyway, why is it that when we hear a story like that, it, it seems to define a purer form of love? Um, we either question its authenticity or we're just overwhelmed by emotion. Somehow we are made uncomfortable by being in the same room with this kind of devotion and love. Or we just throw it out out the door and say, hey, you know what, that's BS. Yeah, that's very interesting you should say that because I just happened to read a very remarkable story, very, very similar to the Japanese one, but in a sense even more moving because it took place during the Second World War. And it was a very well-known French philosopher by the name of Emmanuel Levinas. And he's very obscure. When you read his works, you can't understand a word he's saying. But he, w- he wrote one little piece uh, 13 years after the Second World War in which he described an interaction with a dog 
that is just extraordinary. It's just one line where he says it. He's a prisoner of war, a French. He's with the French army. They were surrounded, surrendered immediately, and were taken to Hanover, where they were in a work camp. And every day they would walk out, this column of French officers, and the townspeople would um, spit at them and treat them very badly. And, of course, the concentration camp, the work camp, officers regarded them as, as lower than vermin. And they said they felt horrible until one day uh, a small stray dog wandered out from the forest and started wagging his tail in pleasure when he saw them. And when they came back the same night, there was the dog waiting for them. And he says before the guards were able to grab the dog and, and take him away, he said that dog was the last Kantian in Nazi Germany. In other words, he was the last person who regarded them as not a means to an end, but as an end in themselves. And as Kant, the philosopher, would say, you have to treat every living being as if they mattered in and of themselves. And only that dog saw these prisoners as men, not as, 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 as something that you could despise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just reading that one line brings tears to everyone's eyes. I know when that was published wow. in France, wow. they made a great fuss over that single line. The only line you can understand from Levinas, but it's quite beautiful, and he never forgot it. Wow. For 13 years, he was preoccupied with that one dog who didn't make the kinds of distinctions, the us-them, that we humans are always making. They speak another language, they're another race, they're a different ethnicity, they have a different religion, they're poor. You know, any of the distinctions we make, dogs don't make those distinctions. Yes, of course, of course, of course. Let me ask you this question then. I guess, you know, moving up the ladder, um, can a society survive the recognition? Let's say, let's say we, you know, the absolute recognition that dogs and other, uh, other animals feel complex emotions like love. Yes. You think so? I mean, it, 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 I mean, it's got a lot what of thorns. What do you mean, can we survive it? Well, I mean, what are the it's, consequences? it's very convenient for us, okay, to look the other way and say, well, dogs and uh, all animals, I guess, but especially dogs and, all, you know, all animals out there don't, you know, cannot imitate human emotionality because they're just animals. You know, at the end of the day, they're just animals. They've got to be treated as animals, right? If well, we that's had... right. And, and, you know, I have to ask you, why do you think we say that? I think I know the answer. Let me hear what you say. I think we say that because it's convenient. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, I, I'll tell you why I think it's convenient. I think that our economic system is based on feeding ourselves with cheap protein, which comes exactly. from meat. Exactly. Thank you. You got it. Hey. And, and if you rob animals of their emotions, it becomes a lot easier to justify everything that we do to them, from lab, ex lab experiments exactly. to eating them to mass killings in shelters across the board. Exactly. I mean, that's why I, I'm, I'm heartened by the fact that uh, places like Best Friends and a few others have a no-kill policy. You know, we are not going to let these animals die. And, I mean, for me, when I was writing When Elephants Weep, which was the first book I wrote about the emotions of animals, it became inescapable. I could no longer eat meat if I felt this way. What justification could there possibly be for killing these animals, some of whom had more profound emotions than me? So I stopped eating meat. And um, I, I feel also that that was due really to the deep friendship I had with dogs because I, there was no way I could convince myself that dogs were unique. I do believe that the bond we have with dogs is something that is not seen anywhere else in nature, that two different species bond so powerfully as we do with dogs. But I, I realize that if I feel this way about my dog, how could I it gets you in a dismiss pickle. what pigs feel and right. chickens? And, right. And, right. Oh, it, and so it gets I, you into real dangerous territory. Pardon? Yeah, it puts it's you well, in dangerous territory. Absolutely. And I've been there. I am there. We're going to have another show to talk about, about exactly this subject. But in this particular one, I think that, that love is, is, is the emotion, the, the special emotion that makes human beings what we are, that makes our chores of our life, the dangers of our life, the agony of, of, of living worth living because we we have one thing we aspire for is love and once you translate that love to a dog or to an animal that's why we feel so uncomfortable when we're faced with this then we look in their eye, into their eyes as you said and we recognize something that defines what we know to be love 
And and so we become overwhelmed by this because now what do I do? Now what do I do? Well, My dog right. feels love. Who else right. feels that's love? Right. right. But then you have to ask yourself, do these animals, not just dogs, but other animals, feel something very similar to our love for one another? Do pigs love other pigs? Of course they do. Yeah, yeah, and it gets very, very thorny very, very quickly. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough place to go because our entire society is based on animal food. Well, our it's entire based on protein experimentation system. and food. Well, it's yeah, based on a lot of things. You can get rid of all of that, but you can't replace the Big Mac. Okay, you can get rid of all the experimentation. There's ways around that, but the big well, man. Well, many of us have, and it's a choice. Many and I think we will find right. ways to well, feed the I population. Well, I mean, societally, societally, you can't replace that Big Mac. Okay, you're not replacing that with a veggie burger. Well, well you will replace it with grains and vegetables. That's what you'll have to do, Doctor Mason. You know, but I understand what you're saying. I mean, we're a very small minority. Absolutely. Who say right. we're not going to eat animals? We're still a teeny minority compared to the rest of the world, and and. More and more people in China and India, as, as they become wealthier, they want animal protein. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Mason, you are a great guest. Thank you so much for the wonderful books that you've written. And, again, thank you for joining us from New Zealand today. How's the weather over there, by the way? Uh, it's, it's raining now, but t- tomorrow's my 70th birthday, and it's going to be a beautiful sunny day. Happy birthday. We're taking, we're taking the dog on a long walk. There you <laughs> That's go. That's great. Enjoy the day and have a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Dr. Mason. Thank happy 70. So Thanks for joining talking. us. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you. And we'll be right back with our second great guest. Hey, Brenda, what's the best way for the good folks out there to help their furry friends? Well, they can buy our Dogs in Danger branded T-shirts, mouse pads, and postage stamps. And you know those stamps are real U.S. postal stamps, so you can use them every day. Just think, someone else finding out about this cause each time you send a letter. So please go to dogsindanger.com and buy from our selection of logoed products. Remember, each purchase helps us save a life. That's dogsindanger.com. From the time we enter school as children, we're taught about the power of reading, about its importance in keeping us connected to the world around us. If you have difficulty seeing words on a page, that's no reason to stop reading. Talking Books is a free program from the Library of Congress. If you have trouble reading normal-sized print like books or magazines, you could qualify for the free Talking Books program. When you subscribe, the Talking Books and a special cassette player will be delivered to you for free. As soon as you finish one, simply mail it back and order more from the thousands of available titles. The program and the postage are free. Call toll-free 1-888-657-READ. That's 1-888-657-READ. Choose from a vast selection of books and magazines. Call 1-888-657-READ. 1-888-657-7323. A message from the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. Throw your dog a bone. Let him listen to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Back to Alex and Brenda. Welcome back. We're on the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, and we're going to be talking to Dr. Frank McMillan, who's Director of Wellbeing Studies at Best Friends Animal Society. Our best friend. Our best friend. Our yes. best friend. Good morning. Best friends. Dr. Frank, you're on the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good morning, Dr. Frank. What, what, uh, what part of the country are you calling in from? Uh, Utah. Utah. So you're Where the Best uh, Friends Sanctuary see. is. That's right. So, so it's central time, right? Mountain time? Central time? Where? Mountain time. Right, mountain time. 4.30, right? We deal in so many time zones now that I, I kind of forget <laughs> the U.S., but anyway. 4.30, yeah. 4.30, okay. Dr. McMillan, you Dogs get the, are up the bright dog and early in badge the, in of the doc, honor. The Dr. Frank house. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so um, first question is, if we had a test that could prove without a question that dogs feel love, and I think I have this test in my house every day, I'm convinced, but how would it change, how is it going to change our society? That's sort of where we left off with with uh, with our first guest, and hopefully you had a chance to listen to it live streaming out there with Dr. Mason. Um, uh, no, I didn't. But um, ask it again. If we had a test, uh, if we had a test, right, to prove that dogs feel love, how, how is that going to change our society? Well, I I guess I've never thought about it in that way. I think I think of it more in terms of do they or don't they, and how would that change the test itself. I think would just make people understand better that the feelings that the animals have matter and 
they matter in a way that we care for them, and especially dogs who have been domesticated and the bonding ability, which we are going to interpret as love, has been strengthened over the last 15,000 years. And that's important because when we make the bond stronger, it makes it hurt more when that bond is broken or impaired. And therefore, the dog left chained outside howling for attention is obviously suffering and suffering more than he would have if he hadn't been domesticated. Well, let me ask you this question. This is Alex, obviously. Sure. Um, how do we know that the dog is feeling love in human terms? I mean, how do you know? I mean, you're obviously in the camp that feels that there is, that they do feel it. How do you know that the dog is feeling what we consider to be human love, the emotion that we feel between humans? Well, we don't. Um, and it's important to understand that all the emotions, um, we can never know for sure that the feeling is quite like we feel it. For example, when a rabbit is terrified and trembling, does rabbit fear feel like human fear? And the answer is we don't know. Um, the truth is, is you can't really know what your own human companion feels in terms of fear or something like that. But the bottom line is that the emotions are going to have either a pleasant or an unpleasant feeling. So if they feel exactly the same, that's not important. What's important is are they pleasant or unpleasant, and the unpleasant and pleasant aspects are what make you do what you do. So with love, uh, you're going to have the feeling of attractiveness and draw and pleasant feelings when you're with the one that you're loving, um, and, and conversely, when you're separated or prevented from making that attachment, then you're going to feel unpleasant. But you don't want to go so far as we, or we can't, I should say, to say it feels exactly the same. Okay, well, even if it's not exactly the same, let's just take the proposition that they do feel some form of love to the human being. And there's a bond from the dog to the human being, some version of doggy version of love. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, the, the question I have for you is, what does a dog have to do to show that love to us so we recognize it as, as what we consider to be some form of love? Well, this is where it gets real tricky because... When you have a bond, emotional bond, um, it's driven by two sets of, uh, uh, of emotions, the pleasant, as I say, and the unpleasant. Um, and nature devised it this way because bonding, uh, well, uh, attachments um, are so important that they're enforced by both sides. This is, for example, as important as it is to eat food, where you're driven by both the pleasant feeling of the taste of food or if you didn't have that, if that somehow faltered, then you're driven by the fact that it feels unpleasant by not taking in the food, so you take in the food that way. So nature, for important things like this, has a backup system in case one of them fails. So mm -hmm. when you have a bonding, um, and this is true for two people that are together, for example, uh, if you take the, the, uh, the uh, two well, a couple, a spouse or whatever you want to call them, significant others, and the one is driven to be near the other, you can't say that that drive is purely out of the pleasure that that person gets by being with the companion or the unpleasant feelings of being separated. And this is what we have when we look at dogs. If dogs are driven to be very close to us, for example, don't want to be more than three feet away from us as we walk around our house, is it because they feel the pleasantness of the company or that they're scared about being separated? For example, dogs that end up repeatedly taken to the mm -hmm. shelter and fear are driven, yeah. less and less secure, they want to be attached because they're so afraid of being separated. Right. So is it fear-driven or is it a, a pleasant emotional-driven, his actions, the dog's actions are? Right. And I actually devised a study to try to separate that, um, and it didn't pan out uh, quite as clear as I would have liked, but what I did in the study is I tried to get a, uh, a people, uh, everybody's description of how their dog acts with them, without them, 
And then the important part was how they act in the presence of somebody else rather than the person that's mm-hmm. answering the questionnaire. Right. So that if the dog was relieved just by being near a human, then you'd know it was more out of fear than right. out of pleasantness. And what you and get? Like I said, the, 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 unfortunately, it didn't distinguish that well. And that's only because it's a combination of the two. It's a combination of, of both. So the fear, Love and fear. The fear element is always there, is what you're saying. Even with me and my dog, who are bonded together for the entirety of his life, you're saying that there is, he still has a fear element in not being near me. Well, it, it's probably not fear, and I'll tell you why. Um, it's because when that bond is severed, um, for example, if, if your companion dies, um, it's not as if the fear is what's, uh, it's what's subsuming you now. It's the fact that you are now grief-stricken. So it's more a matter of unpleasant feelings. Um, in the anticipation mode, it would be fear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when it actually happens, it's actually grief. For example, when you see these uh, uh, couples pleading for their kidnapped baby or child to be returned, um, there's no fear there. Uh, well, uh, there probably is, I suppose. But more, it's the it's the ter- it's the it's the grief that they they have of not being with their loved one or having their loved one with them. Which is a corollary of love, right? I, oh, yeah, I love yeah. you so much that right. now the, the, the thought of losing you has uh, emotionally overtaken me. Exactly. Uh, well, and many people who have dogs will say that they experience grief. I mean, surely they experience grief or what appears to be grief, not only in the loss of their own kind, but in loss of their human companions, too. But, but Dr. McMillan, a, a lot of people say that we as humans, you know, cherish love so much. We need love to such outrageous extent that we, cre- we create love in the animal in our eyes just so that we have it. We want to be loved so badly that we ask the dog to love us. And so the dog gives us what we want. Well, I think that's true, but you could say that. I think you'd be, I think you'd be more on solid ground of saying that with the person who says they have a turtle that, um, uh, that loves them and needs them. But I, I think the, the behavior is so obvious in the dogs that you don't have to necessarily anthropomorphize or, or, or project on the dog to actually interpret their behavior as comparable to what a mother and child would behave like when they're separated. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that in other species, but with dogs, the evidence is pretty much prevalent that there's something happening there and it's not just us projecting onto them our own needs. Yeah, although there's no scientific evidence uh, when I speak of it, I, I talk about um, that there's plenty of evidence of an attachment uh, where it gets a little sticky is interpreting it as a love type of uh, a component. I should also point out that there's in humans there's different types of love. There's what's called romantic love, and that's the actual bonding that two people have that has a potentially sexual component to Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But the other type of love is called companionate love, and that's where two very close friends uh, or or even uh, a married couple years and years down the line, it's the kind of bond that's not necessarily sexual, but is very much an attachment um, and a deep, deep caring for that person and a loss when you lose that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what looks like um, we're seeing in the dog uh, uh, type of bonding with people is a very deep companionate type of love. Uh, but the romantic love, which people always jump on and say, you can't be serious. My dog is right, right. in love with me. And that may be true, but it's not important because that's, the, that's only one type of love. Yes, yes. Why is it, Dr. Mayman, why is it there is such a abhorrent lack of real research in these kind of things? You know, these sort of uh, touchy-feely stuff that we, you know, there's 70 million dogs in the United States. Why is it that there's so little research that? Is it, is it because people are afraid of going in that direction? Uh, institutions are, or it, there's just no money for it? Well, that's one and the same. Um, <laughs> the, the fact that uh, you look like a, a, a loon when you t- try to un- undertake these kind of studies uh, because you're accused of anthropomorphizing and also things that people might say are not that important. Um, so it's not really looked at in that regard, but 
The other aspect is simply that these are hard to pin down. Um, the you know the the, the one uh, anecdote here that that uh, that I always keep coming back to is uh, is a movie that was. Uh, oh God! It's probably been ten years or more now, and that was the Jodie Foster movie Contact. Um, oh, I remember that very yeah. well. Yes, and in that movie, uh, Matthew McConaughey played uh, the, uh, the the preacher. spiritual advisor uh, to the president. Uh, his name was Parker, and and he was talking with Jodie, who with Jodie played a scientist. And what happened is they were asking, uh, he was asking her, "Why don't you believe in God?" And she said, "Well." You know, I'm a scientist, and I need proof before I can believe in something. And so he asked her, he said, well, uh, let me ask you, do you love your uh, father? And she goes, well, yeah, a lot. And he goes, prove it. And all of a sudden, she just got this blank stare like, well, I can't. I just do. And that's what we're faced with, is how do you prove it? And that's actually your own feelings. How do you prove those? Not the harder thing of how do you prove a dog feels that for you. So that's how hard this kind of stuff is. It's yeah. really, really yeah. hard. It's also very uncomfortable. I mean, uh, the story of Hachi, which I know you, you're quite aware of. I mean, it's a famous dog, the, the Japanese story of Hachi with the nine years of vigil for his owner. Right. Um, the, I mean, clearly, even the biggest doofus in the country would look at that story and say, hey, that's love. There's no question that Hachi loved his master owner uh, friend, um, there's no question about that. Is, is that what a dog has to do to be recognized as love? He has to go and st- sit in vigil for nine years at the same spot, for, you know, with, with something that no human, by the way, no human that I can ever I- imagine. Well, you're going to get do. behaviorists who are going to argue that that's not necessarily indicative of love, but could be a whole lot of other reasons why he was there. Well, I personally I, I, I choose that. Argument. I personally choose the undying love. I, I think it's story, pretty but. clearly it's undying love. That dog wasn't getting anything. He wasn't getting any food. He wasn't getting pets. He wasn't. He was sitting in the elements and getting showered on and snowed upon and freezing. But to he death. was hopeful for nine years. Hopeful for what? A treat? Give me a break for nine no, years. No, for his home back. No, 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 yes. no. This, this is this is unquestionably something that this dog felt, and it's that's why they've enshrined him. That's why they have a, a, a memorial. A bust for the dog. I believe that too, but I'm saying there are those, and and maybe Dr. Frank will 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 help us here with the scientific approach. But there are those who who would probably argue that that's not just evidence of love. I mean, what does a dog have to do? I mean, he wags his tail, right? Uh, he looks into your eyes. We talked with Dr. Mason about how a dog is the only creature that allows you to look directly into his eyes. They stare uh, lovingly at you. Yeah. Um, I mean, they do all of the stuff that we would consider to be um, non-romantic forms of companionship, love, as you mentioned, um, between humans. And nevertheless, you're a loony as soon as you start uh, projecting love, supposedly, on the, on the animals. Well, yeah. And, and it. It's true that scientifically you, know, you can't make that statement as solidly as you can from a pure common sense uh, standpoint. If you were to observe a child um, doing everything they could to get the attention of their parent uh, by even misbehaving or something like that, um, it would be very easy to interpret that, uh, and logical, I should say, to interpret that as love when it could be a starvation for just attention of any kind. So you could actually, as a scientist, take the uh, approach that the dogs that, that, uh, that stand with the vigil for their lost owner are, are simply just lacking the human affection that they wanted, um, and it just happens to be an attachment to that person, but still comes short of saying that's love. Now, I think it is. But I can't prove it because there's no way to prove it. Now, I should point out that scientifically, we're going to get there, meaning that with certain kinds of brain scanning, you can tell that certain parts of the brain light up with certain kinds of emotions. And yet, with humans, that's in its infancy. And so with the animals, it's going to be down the line. But we're going to get there of ultimately to where we can show that that everything is so much uh, uh, exact, uh, like it's seen in people that you'd be just an idiot after, after a time to deny it. To deny it. Well, we have about a minute, a little bit over a minute left, Dr. Franks. So let me ask you this question. Let's say that that day, that day arrives and we have the machine or the test that proves unequivocally that dogs feel some version of love. 
Can our society survive that? Uh, yeah, although it's, it, it, it will be very interesting because if you look at, uh, for, example, for example, Eastern cultures where dogs are stuck in cages and sold on the market for food, um, it's going to just put a lot more pressure in terms of a change. Um, society will survive it, and in a very good way, uh, but it will, it, it will be a big jolt, I'd have to say that. A, a tremendous jolt. I mean, yep. how will society react to something like that? How do you project it? Well, I, th- I think what will happen is that the people that mistreat the dogs the way we uh, who care about dogs now see them as being mistreated when they are chained outside alone howling for attention, I just think those people will become uh, more harshly judged to where things will ultimately will turn in the dog's favor to where they're cared for the way they should be cared for. Kind of like, um, you know, African Americans when they were being freed from slavery, mm-hmm. you just couldn't look at slavery the same because right. of what we're learning. Will it change us? Will it make us a humbler species? I mean, remember, yeah, African Americans were all, African Americans were human. We were all talking about the same species. This is an alien species that we discover right. love in. Will it change us? Yeah, it will. Um, it'll be down the, down the road a bit, but I, I, I have no question that the more science learns about the animal mind, the more we will understand that we are very much like them and vice versa, and we can't keep treating them the way they do, the way we do, especially what we do to them in laboratories and things like oh, that. Horrible. Dr. Frank, uh, you've been a great guest. Thank you so much for joining us at this ungodly hour over there in Utah. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. Thank you to Best Friends for having a tremendous guest again, and we will see you soon. You can go back to sleep now. How's that? All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Right. Frank. Okay. Thank bye-bye. you. We'll be right back. When we first started thinking about dogs in danger, we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsInDanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and more than 45,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families everywhere. In today's economy, it's hard for anyone to part with their money. But Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to DogsInDanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 a month will help us continue our life-saving mission. Donate to DogsInDanger.com and do something good for your soul. Gain a body, save a life. DogsInDanger.com Right now, thousands of wonderful dogs are in shelters waiting for families. Meanwhile, puppy mills breed tens of thousands of puppies each year to be sold in pet stores or over the Internet for profit. Dogs in puppy mills never feel the touch of a kind hand or grass under their paws. They're forced to have litter after litter to produce puppies for sale in pet stores at high prices. At the same time, many dogs lose their lives in shelters because people choose to buy rather than adopt their pet. Best Friends is working with you and with Humane groups all across the country to bring about a time when every animal has a loving home and there are no more homeless pets. Through their puppy mill incentive, thousands of dogs have been rescued from lives of suffering and have become part of loving families. And you can help save even more. Text the word DOG to 90999 to give $5 to Best Friends Animal Society and help save the life of a puppy mill dog. Together, we can make the dream of no more homeless pets come true. Message and data rates may apply. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Welcome back to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. And there are thousands of dogs across the country who are in danger and running out of time. And we try to highlight one every week. And this week is from Maricopa County Animal Care and Control. And that's in Phoenix, Arizona, for those who you don't know. And um, this dog, again, doesn't have a name. It kills me when they don't give them names. Yeah, but lots horrible. of them just assign numbers to them. Uh, looks like a Samantha to me. So that's what I'm going to call her. She's called, I'm going to call her Sam. Uh, her number is A2977466 is her ID number at the shelter. And, you know, I have to I have to say the sad eyes on this dog. They have her listed as a pit bull terrier, but she doesn't look 
any she's part. She's not a pit bull. She doesn't parent. look any part pit to me. I don't yeah. know. Boxer mix. Uh, she's about a year old, uh, says the shelter. And uh, those sad eyes staring out of this photo. I dare anybody to go look into the eyes of this dog and 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 deny that there's not. It's and the feeling. dog is in. Maricopa County, which Maricopa is Maricopa County is Phoenix, Arizona. Arizona right? Phoenix, Arizona. And you can find that uh, on our website. Email us. Look it up on the on the web, whatever. We'll get you in touch if you can help. The shelter is full. This dog only has two days left, and that status can change any minute. So if you can help. Uh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, it's always heartbreaking whenever we highlight one of these dogs, that's, uh, that one of the thousands of dogs that's on the dogsendanger.com website. And staring into their eyes. It's really true. What so many yeah. of them said, um, Dr. Mason said it. I know um, uh, Mark Beckoff talks about it a lot, too. It's all in the eyes. Yeah, it's all in the eyes. And what a subject. Do dogs feel love? And I think that we got we got to pretty yeah. well an answer to that, the absolute answer, which was yes. And, and to that, um, I have a theory that the reason that many of us are overwhelmed by animals show of love, the reason that the tissue box comes out so easily when you watch a movie like Hachi, um, that they exhibit a purer form of love, uh, an all-consuming love that we strive for. We, we humans, we, we dream of that kind of love. And it's the kind of love that the poets muse about and the composers write about, you know, write music about. It's all-consuming. It's a, it's a love that's till death do us part. And we saw, we see so little of it in our human lives. Unconditional and pure. Unconditional and pure. And there's, there's so little of it in our human lives that when we see it and we recognize it in an animal, it makes us uncomfortable. It overwhelms us and the tear ducts open up. Yeah. And, and the question, you know, really goes to the heart of our way of life. I mean, if animals have feelings and, and we're saying that we, we accept that we do, that they do, it's a lot harder to justify a lot of the things that we do to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a fascinating topic. It's going to keep going back and forth. We have another interesting topic next week, and we're going to be switching tracks completely from an emotional side to a very physical side, which is racing for their lives. We call it racing for their lives because we're going to be talking about dog racing. Um, that's a sport that's not really exercised in this part of the country in the Northeast. Greyhound but it racing. Is, it yeah. is very popular. It's very popular mm-hmm. in the South, especially in Florida. All you know about it, you've seen it, the, the, the dog running after the rabbit. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to enlighten it to the Northeast audience that this radio show reaches. Um, and we're going to have some great guests. But uh, today's uh, today's show, I think, is close to my heart. Um, it was about love. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, you know, it's one of those. Th- there are a lot of things that we can't prove, but we accept them to be true. And I think, you know, dogs feeling love is one of them. Anyone who has dogs. Anyone that has a dog knows dogs feel love. Along with the, the fact host. that dogs have to try so hard to show to us that they love us shows how pathetic we are in our you know ability to understand other species. Really, it says more about us than it does about them, because anybody that's got a small little brain and has a dog knows that dogs feel love. Okay, but but for the other side, the incredulous side, we're going to come up, as Dr. McMillan said, we're going to come up with the research and the test that one day will prove it to the absolutists out there. They've already proved it to me. My dogs <laughs> prove it to me every day. No. Well, with those words, it's another hour of the Dogs in Danger Radio Hours passed by. With great love in our hearts, we say uh, good morning to New York and goodbye for this show, Brenda. And we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. Racing for their lives. Thank you for joining us.